Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny V. Today, we welcome Libby Haythorne from CBCA, Children's Book Council of Australia, guest curator and keynote speaker at the 2021 conference, Anticipate, Appreciate, Applaud. Welcome, Libby. It's so lovely to have you on. Oh, thanks so much, Danny. Lovely to be here. So we're here to talk about this very exciting conference that is being held this year on demand uh, live from March 30. So it's already started to May 31. So can you give us um, a bit of an elevator pitch as to what the conference is going to be about? Well, we called the conference Exploring in a World and we devoted the whole of the conference, which is pretty much a record, I think, in Australia to poetry completely to poetry, all kinds of poetry, from classic uh, poetry to slam, rap and everything else. And all the things that are in between, for example, verse novels, performance poetry, um, you know, and looking at poetry in a way that enhances it for kids to not just appreciate, but to, I called my talk, I was the keynote speaker, Danny, and I called my talk falling in love again Mm. I was and because I sort of think that we do fall in love quite naturally as little children and the stats tell me that at five kids are incredibly creative when I look at neuroscience and everything else that where that that we it's a terrible thing to say but schooling sometimes educates the creativity out of us Mm -hmm. but poetry keeps it in place so I was given the wonderful task of the keynote and I tried to bring it down to five or six things we can do that will light up 
children, teachers, and parents. And I'll go into that in a minute. Mm, I um, love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About falling in love again, because you might have either fallen out of love with it, you may have never been in love with it, or you may need reminding how wondrous and powerful and mysterious poetry is and how much it feeds the human spirit. And I think the world really needs that now. <laughs> I couldn't agree yeah. more. And what's interesting about poetry is, like you said, you, you named a whole lot of different poetry right down from your classic to your contemporary right down to your performance poetry and rap. So there's something for to engage everyone, I think, of every so. age. <laughs> and you know, it might be we have to reach out a little bit further for kids today, given we're competing with so much in terms of music. But the, there's a little distinction that I tried to bring out in my talk between, even though we sort of sing poetry almost, it's not a song. It is in itself a beautiful, it's the quintessence of language, like the best possible words in the best possible order as Coleridge said, and I can't think of anything better than that. And Dylan Thomas said, oh, it's what makes my toenails twinkle. Take whichever, <laughs> take whichever, whichever de definition you want. But that's right. Um, it's about feeling, but it's also about, you know, yeah. intellect. So it's about engaging with it in an intellectual yeah. way. But it's also, I mean, poetry or literature doesn't mean anything unless you feel something from it too. So it's got to be twofold. Absolutely. It is the language of emotion. That's mm. right. And so as I was sort of saying about, I was saying, but like at five, you know, we, we can beat time, we can dance, we can tap, we can sing. And at about seven or eight, we can go a little bit deeper than that. We can still dance, tap and sing, well, at any age, but we can start to think about what this means. You know, what, what does that mean to me? What emotion am I feeling? And at that's the point when we can also start writing poetry, very, very simple poetry. And the thing about that is when kids are learning to write and also to think and to lay down those important tracks often to do with poetry and chant and recitation and hearing things over and over again, uh, that getting that power over the word and it sort of invoking the whole power of, of um, the word and poetry and the mystery, even at that age, by just starting out to write very simply themselves is truly important. And so we want poetry to be friendly, funny, happy, um, approachable, uh, that we can you know, have insight into it, but not only that. Mm -hmm. What we tend to do as teachers and parents is only concentrate on the funny, but poetry is also about wonder and the wonder of the world, and particularly I think poetry so sings up nature in every respect, and it's, a, it's an important time to sing up nature ourselves. Well, kids are closer to the ground and they see more than I see, <laughs> you know, I can be out in the garden and they can see the leaves trembling or they can see a little lizard scuttling. Um, they can see all kinds of things that we as adults, our, our, our sort of view goes over. And um, so, uh, so in the keynote, I try to take in all these things and talk about five important points and I'll go over them. But also I was lucky enough to be asked to talk about my next book, which is about a very important... 400-year-old poet, wow. um, Japanese poet Matsuo Basho, who lived in the 1690s. And how do you make that interesting to keep? <laughs> well, I went in the footsteps with the illustrator Sadami Konchi. We got an Australia Council grant to go to Japan because I wanted to write a book about Basho and the haiku that he did. Very interestingly, kids are writing haiku all through Australia at the moment, mm. which is wonderful. So why not know about the masters? 
He's a little bit like the Shakespeare of Japan, <laughs> honestly, he's really revered. I went into little, you know, towns and cities that had the Basho Crossing or the Basho Forest or here and there a little beautiful sort of a little um, memoriam and, so, and some of his words. And, of course, they were haiku and sort of just four lines or three lines long. So what we did was read, so in this, in this um, intro to the whole thing, gave my keynote, then was lucky enough to be asked to read that out in my garden, which was very appropriate, because he sort of walked 1,500 miles with his offside um, Sora and looked at things. He went just to look. And so I had him, in my imagination, meet children in a village, and they're saying, what are you doing? He said, just looking. And so they learned this whole thing about how important it is to look at nature. Mm. So it's a slowing down, and it's called... We children and the narrow road to the deep north. Wow. Because Basho actually wrote the book, The Narrow Road to the Deep North. And um, it's a dear little book. And it's just his, you know, his journey with his friend. And like he did things like sit behind a waterfall and dream or sit in the grass and look at flowers that were blooming or go into a temple and look at a huge Buddha and sort of wonder, wonder, wonder and look, look, look. So I was able to read that, which is lovely. I love that. And I think it's particularly important for kids of our generation, even ourselves probably, that that fear of boredom kids often have. I'm bored, yeah. I'm bored. And I usually say to my kids, oh, that's great. Boredom's the best time yeah, to think so of cool. something easy to so You know, and I think. happen then. It's what exactly I say to my yeah. grandkids. Oh, you're bored. Terrific. That's yeah. right. Wonderful. You're so lucky, you know, to be bored because if you're always <laughs> occupied, you're never creating, you know, so I think that's so important with, yes. you know, poetry as well. And I know when kids go out into the garden, you know, and they are a bit bored or something, and they'll come back with little treasures like different shaped leaves or some little pebbles or, you know, a bird's nest or something mm. or other will be discovered in the park or in the garden. So nature's a great teacher, I think. So, I mean, the last, the third thing that I did, I, I think I'm just reminding myself, <laughs> was I then talked to the illustrator and she talked about her process of, you know, communing with nature. There was honestly, Danny, one magical moment when we were sitting in a sedge and grass garden with hundreds of year old trees overhead and a temple in front of us and this dappled light and lichen everywhere and she was painting the temple and I was writing haiku and I thought this has to be just a magic moment in my life. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. So so we, I, we talked about that and it was a difficult thing to get, you know, a 32-page book, which is quite gorgeous, you know, about children meeting this fabulous poet. And so I was able to present that. And um, then following us, oh, I, I gave a poetry work, workshop on the magic of metaphor. And what I want to try and do is demonstrate that it's so easy, not that poetry should be a mystery in the sense that it's only for elite people or people who understand these things, that it's for everybody. It's, mm -hmm. you know, for the, you know, the person in the kitchen, you know, making dinner, and, you know, or, or for the lawyer in his office or the teacher in her, uh, in her study. It's for everybody and for all kids. And that was a really important thing to get over that. Do it, making a metaphor, which is how we imagine things, is just simply a comparison. It's a very easy thing to do. So what I do is I took about nine kids we had here in my home, actually, and we did a metaphorical walk, and they created metaphors. And 
I think they were so delighted that well, I mm. thought it would be hard. And what I'm trying to say to teachers and to parents is it isn't. Mm. It's all there just for the doing and the taking. So that was this wonderful beginning to the conference. And then we plunged into it for two days and we had, you know, the likes of sort of famous poets talking about their work. We had famous novelists talking about theirs. We even, I even talked to a great guy in Great Britain who does very, very funny poems. Um, Stephen Herrick, you know, mm, I love poet. his first novel. Yes. Beautiful. The Simple um, Gift. That's right. Uh, Lorraine Marwood, Sally Murphy, Kate Appel. We had wonderful people. Pip, Pip Harry. Uh, so verse novel became a whole sort of, you know, quality books in verse. We had Curly Saunders talking about an Aboriginal perspective for poetry mm-hmm. and Magabala books and what wonderful things they do. We had Red Room Poetry talking about how they try to encourage, you know, kids to write poetry. Um, we, we were international. <laughs> I know you had Jackie French as well, inspiring kids French. with lyrical language in their writing. Yes, Jackie's so right. fabulous with her knowledge oh, of, of she's writing. She's to, you know, mm. hearing her talk. So I probably missed, you know, lots of people. We had speech pathologists. Maxine Beneva-Clark? Yes, yes, that's right. Slam and diversity, yes. Mm, so, what was that workshop like? That really oh, interests me. Interesting. No, very, very good. I mean, I think um, slam's a way to get kids instant attention. Whilst mm-hmm. we can say, um, you know, poetry will charm them and, you know, do all sorts of things about wondering about the world, slam's got such a pace and such a force and it's so, you know, that responsive, that assonance, the internal rhyme or the whole thing we do with little kids about rhyming, you know, that I call my little girls, my little girls who are grandchildren, girly, whirly, twirly, you know, that just <laughs> comes out and that can go into poetry. And so slam, you know, it, it demands a certain bravery from kids. It does. It's very powerful yeah. from yeah. a lot of That's the slam right. I've seen. It's very powerful and it digs really deep into that inner world. It does. And... Um, uh, yes, and I think once a kid gets over the sort of um, shyness, I guess, of being the one with the focus on, sometimes I get them to do slam to each other, first of all, terrible noise in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but so they're used to the sound of their own voice. But and I think we've got to explore all kinds of poetry. Yeah. But the important thing, I think, coming back to where we started at the beginning is we've got to realise it is about what it is to be human. Yeah. And, you know, we've got to keep that scale. It's not just not, I mean, I love it to be funny. I don't mean it shouldn't be funny, but it's not just funny. It's, it's, it's many things. And I think yeah. that's why I like poetry, that you can mm. dig into poetry. And like you said, you can dig into that inner world and about what it is to be human, but then you can have funny and humorous and, and ridiculous. slam and ridiculous yeah. and limericks. And, yeah. But then you can have, you know, as you were saying, these really powerful haikus, you know, and that's not a lot of I mean, words in there. <laughs> lines. I'm going to say to my kids, you know, particularly the teenagers, you know, there's one about a soldier departing. I must, you know, you must remain, I must depart to autumn's breaking in my Mm. heart. And look, what does that say? Your story about their love story is just, you know, it's it's all there. It's so amazing about poetry. You can often say, you can, yeah, it can tell a whole story in itself and give you so much, um, you know, visual imagery just from those four lines. It's pretty incredible. Yes, on that, um, by the way, on that um, roaming around the north of Japan that we did on that very sleek train that goes at about 200 miles an hour, <laughs> we didn't walk <laughs> very far. Um, 
But one of the beautiful temples we came to, which I loved because it was very run down and overgrown, wasn't one of these neat ones. It was vines and flowers <laughs> and, you know, and I felt, oh, my God, it was so sort of beautiful to be there and feel that Basho had been here only 400 years ago. Um, and that it had been the home of a priest who actually paid, Basho was like a, a priest in a way who paid his way to write poetry so that he could continue to wander and do his work. Mm. And he travelled there to Kanasawa was the city and he'd got all the way there and I'm, it's so sad, but the priest had died, the young man had died just before he got there. So there's this beautiful, they do it on a stone, a beautiful sort of mound outside and he's saying, you know, my tears will blow you know, forever lasting in the wind, like such a sad little thing of getting there just too late. Mm. So all that, yeah, you know, very heartfelt, um, you know, very heartfelt stuff in, in haiku and tanker and all of that. So we went right across the sort of range of poetries. And what's lovely is that we gave lots of models. I think um, the people who worked on this, I mean, I came in just as the keynote, but the people who really worked on structuring at this, uh, uh, on this, what was important was that we wanted to give, to call it seems funny to say about poetry, but um, both Liz Bowering and Gail Erskine and Felicity Javica wanted to give the teachers the tools of trade for poetry, that we're not just going to talk about the beautiful words and the wonders of it, we're going to give you practice. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's really important that they can come away from the conference feeling, ah, I'm going to have a go at slam or I'm going to go, you know, whatever, I'm going to try to do some haiku I'm going to you know do all sorts of other things in poetry I'm going to write a verse novel why not you know? why not <laughs> I talked a bit about Hamilton and I thought wouldn't it be lovely you know because it's current and that's very it's got that same sort of rap as Amanda Gorman you know who did the um the speech at Biden's inauguration which I adored that poem mm. you know um I think what's it called into the light and we've only just got to be brave and we can step into the light if we want to. But it had a rap beat, which was fantastic. And as Hamilton does, that tells an incredible story because often narrative poems tell these stories and opera, I write the libretto, libretti for opera. So that tells a story. And I thought, wouldn't it be lovely if we were to do an Australian one? Like take a particularly one on a female, <laughs> it'd be lovely. Mm. Like take a poet or a a writer or, I don't know, somebody who flew the first plane over the Pacific, somebody, <laughs> and we did a kind of rap opera like Hamilton. For Sounds amazing. Count me yeah. in. I've just, okay, you're in. You're on. <laughs> I don't think there's any reason why we shouldn't. I agree. Fun. I think it sounds amazing. And we're allowed back in theatres now, so there's no yes, excuse, Libby. Right. Right. <laughs> I've got one coming up. Um, well, this, this one was made in opera um, with the Australian opera 20-something years ago, uh, Grandma's Shoes. But I'm now a grandma. It makes me sad. Who's going to step into my shoes? This one with, uh, is now being made in opera with the beautiful music of Elena Katz-Chernin outside. Wow. And it's just about the five senses and it's oh. quite glorious. So that's, yeah, You're making me miss the theatre so much. I think. Oh. <laughs> Are you a theatre person? Yeah, I, I love theatre. I used to be a drama teacher as well. So. Ah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I think we better get together and talk about our upcoming rock opera. No, no, <laughs> I'm in rap opera. Yeah, I think well, so. I'll do. I'll I'll be backstage. I'll do whatever you like. Sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah, I just want to put the power in their hands that what was lovely about the nine little kids out on the front veranda doing the metaphorical walk, that they made such sage, they were aged from seven to 12 or 13 would have been the oldest, but such sage comments mm. afterwards because I asked them, you know, it was a powerful walk through a forest, so I took them verbally through the forest, but looking at things like, you know, they even managed, we got to a waterfall and, you know, looked at that and we walked down to the beach with it and just the lovely imagery that comes by just taking them out of themselves and into that, I always say, you know, that amazing thing, this brain in here, this imagination waiting to be unleashed. And it is too. I sort of feel like kids have got such, you know, access that we, that I mustn't keep saying this educated out of us because teachers do do their best to, you know, try to get kids to be imaginative, be creative, but there's such a lot of other things we're doing. Um, and in some ways as you get older though you have to you seem to have to conform to things true. which you know require true. less imagination sometimes That's true so That's I think you're yeah, trying to get back and I think you know before I had children I have um, a six and an eight-year-old I sort of I think I underestimated them you know I underestimated what they're capable mm -hmm. of because some of the things they say when they've seen something or that they write down or that they see in a story you know they're very good readers and they'll they'll pick up something in a book and I'll be blown away so exciting isn't it yeah because they that. see the they... world differently yeah and I mean it's such a visually you know explosive world mm. compared to say my childhood or even my children's childhood um now with so much you know in front of our eyes yeah. so we've got to capture that as best we can I think and use it as best we can yeah that's the thing I was talking to someone the other day about taking yourself on a um a creative date but I, I like to taking yourself to the theater just on your own or something the museum yeah, or something that just gives idea, you yeah. yeah it gives you that sort of you know creative space but I actually really like the, what you're talking about and taking yourself on a sort of a, a family date or a date where you just observe you know you leave your phones at home just and look. you just look and look Just at things. Look. I really like that. Good. Well, I mean, the, the wonderful Basho said when the kids, I, I actually put the line in the in my text, um, We Children, I put it in and he says, you know, I'm on this journey to look. And I said, what, what are you looking for? And he said, I guess I'm looking for myself. Mm. It's so lovely. Mm. And that's said, but where's your home? And he said, the journey is my home. <laughs> So I got those two lines that he actually said in the text. So it wow. works really well. Well, yeah. I'm going to try that in the next few days. I'm just going to go on a looking tour. I'm going to leave the phone in the car. It's going to be hard, Libby. And you've got, you've got <laughs> to set cool tasks for them. So I say, let, let's collect ideas. I mean, I say, yeah. stay on this walk. Let's see what we can collect. Let's see who sees what, you know, so that they're a little bit excited about yeah. you know, just walking through the park. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Oh, my kids love to pick up lots of sticks and leaves and Ooh, things that we have to do something with when we get home so there'll be no problem doing that <laughs> well how passionate about poetry I would I love that this is focused on poetry because like you said it doesn't happen very often and poetry is so important and I think it's really accessible too well the thing is it's very accessible I mean you just have to you can walk into it and I love going into secondhand shops and finding old collections because mm. you find some treasures in them um, but there's so much you know, there's so much in, in journals, online, everywhere, so much help around, you know, in terms of teaching poetry, but just look at yourself. That's what I tried to say in my five points. Enrich your own 
mind and life with poetry. I even set a little task um, for them to say, I want you to learn these four lines that I put up, um, to see the world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. And if you memorise those beautiful lines, it's like a gift inside of you forever. Mm. It's like a friend. And if you say it to kids, I mean, I've, I've said those four lines to as young as K2. I said, now come and we'll look in this pond outside and I want you to use the word infinity and eternity. <laughs> and you have no idea what comes out. They're not yeah. even quite sure, but it's sort of... But they're not afraid. You know, they're not afraid to no. just say things. You know, no. and I think that's what happens when we get older. We fear. But as a kid, I love that. Um, you well, the know, thing about poetry is, this, you know, can never be wrong. Yeah, just yours. Mm. You know, if you're as long as it's your story or resonates mm. with you or says something about the world. Yeah. Well, I, I told a funny story in my keynote about when the children were very young, and I was always driving them to music or sport or something. <laughs> And I thought I could use this lovely time to do some poetry learning, poetry by heart. And I loved my grandmother before me loved, my mother loved and I loved um, Henry Kendall's Bellbirds. Mm -hmm. And it goes just to the first few lines, by channels of coolness, the echoes are calling. And down the dim gorges, I hear the creek falling. And then the last two lines are, and softer than slumber and sweeter than singing. The notes of the bellbirds go running and ringing. And so I said it to them and I said, now, I would love you to say that with me. And the first time they did, it's about eight lines. I, I gave you a shortened version. <laughs> I said, oh, yes, all right. And I said, okay, how about this? If you can recite this, by the time we get to Bondi Beach, there's an ice cream in it. <laughs> say it again, girl, say it again. Say it again. Channels of coolness, the echoes are calling and down the dim gorges. And, you know, I just was speaking to one of the older ones the other day and she was laughing and she said, you know, I went on an excursion with the school or something, got off the bus and said, by channels of coolness, there's a call. Yeah, she says, so. I said, so it works. That's it, it's stuck, it's stuck. I love that. But it's it's saying, you know, as well, that it can connect families, you know, and that's connected you with your children and grandchildren, and that's I wonderful. I mean, about four generations, and hopefully it'll go on. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it, it, it does, you know, if you're, um, you know, I've been pretty enthusiastic about books, and so my kids have become enthusiastic ah, and about books. they will be. Mm. Oh, we have covered so much, and I just love you know how passionate you are about poetry yeah. and, and as you were you were saying your poetry out loud for me when I've heard Sylvia Plath she's one of my favorite <gasps> poets oh yes me too me too oh, and I've heard fun. her oh. yeah if you heard her on YouTube you must have yes, saying yeah. her poetry it is just it I'm blows oh no that's amazing blows your mind and just the way her voice and her intonation it's it's yeah. in, it's a new Gorgeous. level yeah Gorgeous. it's amazing the poem somewhere else yeah. yeah yeah I think that's such a gift having um her voice mm, it is we're so lucky to live in this day and age mm. but lord you can hear Sylvia Plath you know amazing oh, I know yeah. I know so I mean what I what I sort of said was you know this is for teachers really and I don't know who listens to us but I said collect poetry collections like go mm -hmm. into old shops they can be secondhand shops and have them just lying around because you can search them and find something silly funny amazing uh, mysterious or wonderful and just read it by the way without studying it just pick up the book and read it yeah. and um I always said please find favorites for yourself and and put them to your memory I love the expression learn by heart mm -hmm. so you're actually learning in it goes into your heart as well as into your brain I think 
And I always um, recite one of Shakespeare's sonnets to my oh, kids. Which one? Which one? <laughs> I always say, oh, shall on, I compare on. thee to a summer's, to a summer's day? day? They're oh, more oh, lovely and more temperate. My kids are like, what are you talking about? But now they know what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Keep saying it. Yes. <laughs> I do. I keep saying it. They, they kind of know what I mean now. <laughs> when we did Full Fathom Five, Thy Father Lies, Of His Bones Are Coral Made, those were pearls that were his eyes. He's something but a nothing but a sort of sea change. I can't remember the rest of it. But they're used but, to that pace and that delivery because they read picture books and picture books okay, often okay. have that rhythm about them. So I when you bring out I, the iambic yeah, pentameter, they're okay with it. <laughs> I love picture books for that reason. About I don't know, I've written probably 20, 25 picture books, but about 18 of them are all in verse because mm. I think it's you know, the succinct language, yep. you know, tense and terse thought. The surprise at the end, the little surprise line, just like a beautiful poem. They're enjoyable to read as well. You know, I've read a lot of picture books to my kids and they're enjoyable to read. Now they're reading them to me. So, and I thought, I had a lovely morning. I was out at the Shepherd Centre at Macquarie Uni. Mm-hmm. They were launching a library, you know, at the Shepherd Centre is for hearing disabled children. Yep. And I read them my um, latest, oh, which I wrote with my daughter. No, never. And it's Gorgeous very album. funny. It's about it's a cautionary tale about a naughty girl, but written in <laughs> verse. And so I had these little kids. Honestly, they were two. I think the oldest was four, but all calling out, "No, never!" <laughs> with their little got cochlear implants sparkling in their ears. Oh. It was the most wonderful morning. And um, I've done a story called "What Rosie Hears," which is about going from the non-hearing world to the hearing world. And that's an amazing step to take. I know that Rosie Gallen, who was my inspiration, and I've got a little grandchild who has a cochlear implant, um, said, I mean, the most amazing thing to her was actually hear her own breath coming and going. Yeah, that's amazing. Hear her own footsteps. Yeah, or hear, yeah, I've I've seen children, you know, for the first time hear their mother's voice. Like how and she said oh that's flushing of the toilet (laughs) well i think the noise is loud i mean the world the world is loud and chaotic and if you're not used to it it, i think it would be very confronting Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. i nearly finished um find favorites for you that's really important because if it doesn't light you up Mm. one of my quotes is unless you have a splinter of love for poetry you will never teach it well Mm. You, you must have some. So it's very important to pick the, you know, the bits and pieces yeah. that appeal to you. So when I was teaching, I'd always pull out plath. <laughs> oh, do you? Because yeah, okay. oh, you love it and, yeah, and the kids right. would know it. Yep. Um, and then I said, give attention and effort to poetry. It is not without effort. You know, like you're telling your kids, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You're also, you know, you're sort of opening up the mind and tracking in their mind as this whole sort of thing of the rhythm and richness of those words and they'll remember them forever and back again to learn favorite lines by heart I think I've said that but keep exploring I'm saying to teachers and parents different kinds of poetry like I've said classic to rap slam from haiku to acrostic to there's a plethora of help online and then most importantly read poetry incidentally Mm. So they were my six, I think, golden steps to falling in love that with poetry. That was wonderful. Well, I was already in love with poetry, but oh, after this oh. conversation, I'm a little bit more in love with poetry. Good. That was That's possible. I <laughs> <laughs> because I just love hearing you, your passion about it. 
Oh, it's not a lot of people you can talk poetry with, Libby. That's true. And when I find one, I'm so thrilled. You know? <laughs> Maybe yeah. after this um, this podcast, people will go to the conference and we'll have more people talking about poetry. Instead of a book club, we can have a little poetry club. Wouldn't that be fabulous? It would be. I did belong to a book club, but a poetry club. Who has poetry clubs these days? Well, you just came and read. I think we just invented one, Libby. We did. Hey. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do we've, it. We've, in half an hour, we've made a lot of plans here, <laughs> a rap opera. We're going to write a rap opera. <laughs> We're starting a poetry club. We're no pressure. <laughs> well, why not? The sky's the limit, really. Yeah. Oh, look, it's been an absolute joy to speak to you. It really has. I could listen to you all night and maybe we'll have to do that one day. We'll have to, have to put the kettle on and, and talk about poetry because I had such Absolutely. a, a oh, joyful yeah. time. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to having a look at that conference too. So it's on oh, demand goodness. online and it's available yes. um, until the end of May. Yes, that's right. So it's up there. And also what's lovely, what they've done, which I think is clever, is you don't have to, if it's too expensive for some you know, people, you don't have to do the whole conference. Mm-hmm. You, can you can take choose. You can cherry pick things yep. that you really want to And that's you know, wonderful. Attend to. Yeah, yep, that's wonderful. That's Fantastic. And go with your passion. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Libby. I think anyone who has listened to this would have to be excited and falling in love with poetry, or at least want to flirt a little bit with it, I think. Flirting would be fine. That's a start. <laughs> Thank you, Libby. Okay. Well, good night then. Good night.